Good morning. My name is Adam. If you don't know me, it's uh, wonderful to have you here this morning. I uh, actually have the privilege of baptising Jade tonight, uh, so I'm uh, looking forward to that. It's going to be a wonderful celebration of God's goodness and his faithfulness to her and uh, to us as a church family. Back in uh, 2014, 2015, I preached uh, a few sermons uh, from the book of Psalms. And I called the series at the time, Soul Songs. And the reason that I used the word songs is because a psalm is essentially a poem or a prayer that's intended to be sung. The book of Psalms is the hymn book or the song book for the people of God. I use the word soul because the book of Psalms cover every single aspect of human emotion and experience. Soul Songs. Some of the sermons that I preached back then was a a song to make you happy from Psalm 1. A song for sleepless nights, Psalm 3. A song for when you doubt, Psalm 73. And this morning, I'd like to add to that collection. And I'd like to talk with us a little bit about a song to help you grow. This morning we'll be looking at Psalm 119. Uh, But if you know your Bible, if you know Psalm 119, you know that it is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms and it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses long and this morning we're going to go through every single verse and unpack it word by word. Why are you laughing? (laughs) We're not. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 16 this morning and look at how this psalm, how these words can help us grow. So if you have your Bibles... Hopefully you've uh, found Psalm 119. It's relatively easy to find. Flick to the middle and you'll um, probably land there. And uh, we'll read verses 9 to 16. It'll also uh, be on the screen as well. This is what we read. Verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Now, there are some things in our world and in our lives that grow. Some of these things are good and healthy and positive. Other things that grow are perhaps not as healthy and not as good and just downright frustrating. So, for example, a frustrating example perhaps is if you have any kind of lawn at your home, then you know that grass grows incessantly. Grass does not stop growing unless you kill it. You pull out the mower, you make it look nice and neat, but then within a week or two, it's long and unruly again and you have to pull out the mower and repeat the process. Another frustrating example is weeds. Weeds grow everywhere. They grow in the grass, they grow in the garden bed, they even grow through the cracks in the concrete. And you can pull them out, you can spray them, but they are resilient little suckers and they just keep growing. 
There are lots of things in our world and in our lives that grow. Trees grow, vegetables grow, companies grow, bank accounts grow, stomachs grow. Sometimes it's good growth, like when you're pregnant. Other times it's not so good. Hair grows, and when you're young it grows in all the right places, but as you get older it starts to grow in the not so right places. Babies grow, lots of things in our world and in our lives grow. And the reason I tell you all of this is because the Bible says that if you are a Christian, if you know Jesus, if you're following Jesus, then you too will grow. This is the way Jesus said it in John chapter 15 verse 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This is the way the Apostle Paul put it in Ephesians 4 when he talks about the church. He says that together the church grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 talking to Christians, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a life of growth. It's not just a a prayer that we pray in the the past. There's a lot of P's in that sentence. It's not just a prayer that we pray in the past. It's a life of growth and movement in the present. And I think that most of us know this to be true. I don't think I'm sharing anything groundbreaking with us this morning. In fact, I think that this is part of the reason why you're here this morning. You pulled yourself out of bed on a Sunday morning, got yourself ready, got the kids ready, came down to church because I think you want to grow. You want to grow in knowledge of God. You want to grow in grace, in godliness and in faith. You want to grow. And this is good. This is evidence of the genuineness of our faith. But I also think that if we were sitting down together, let's say we're having a coffee, and I was to ask you, I was to say to you, are you growing? You might say to me, well, kind of, sort of. Or you might say to me, well, I think so, I'm not sure. Or maybe you'd say to me, Adam, no, not really. I'm not growing spiritually. If you would ask me, Adam, are you growing? I might say to you, well, I'm not growing as quickly as I'd like to. I haven't grown as much as I thought I would have by now. And if I was really honest, I might say to you, I still tend to be selfish and impatient at times. When things don't go my way, I can become irritable. Some days I find myself too quick to make judgments. And please don't ask Molly about my attitude in traffic. I'm not yet who I want to be. And I have a hunch that you might say something similar. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that everything is wrong with me spiritually. I'm saying that when it comes to my growth in faith and godliness and in grace, it's not a straight upward line with no setbacks and no detours. It's a squiggly line full of peaks and full of valleys as well. And I don't think anyone has captured this truth more profoundly than John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a pastor and in 1678, a long time ago, He wrote a book, which I'm sure many of you know, called The Pilgrim's Progress. Or the full title of the book is The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which Is to Come. It's an allegory of the Christian life. And in the book, 
Bunyan tells the story of a man named Christian. And Christian talks to this man named Evangelist and he comes under, um, the, he feels the weight of his sins and he decides that he's going to flee from his home city, the city of destruction, and he's going to head out towards the celestial city, uh, which is um, symbolic for heaven. And so he follows the king's highway, which is the narrow path of following Jesus. And along the way, he goes through places like the hill of difficulty, the valley of the shadow of death, the delectable mountains, doubting castle. He meets people like Mr. Worldly Wise Men and Lord Hate Good. He faces many dangers, many trials, many temptations, but he does not give up, he does not turn back, and he eventually arrives at the celestial city and he is welcomed in. And the Pilgrim's Progress, this story is one of the highest selling books of all time. It's been translated into 200 languages and get this, it has never ever been out of print from 1678 to this day. And the reason that it's been so enduringly successful and so profoundly influential is because Bunyan has captured the reality of the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of growth. It's a journey. It's moving somewhere. But the Christian life is also filled with challenges and setbacks and detours and difficulties. It's not a straight upward line. It's a squiggly line filled with peaks and valleys. And it's a lifelong journey. The good news of the Bible is that God is with us on this journey. In fact, God helps us on our journey towards him. God has given us what we need to make this journey and to grow in him. And so what has God given to us? What is God, what's the resources that God has given to us to help us grow? Well, in Psalm 119, we saw one of the key resources that God has given to us to help us grow. In fact, in verse 9, the psalmist asks the very same question that we're asking. He just uses different words. Look at what he says there in verse 9. He says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Now, the word path, it refers to our way of living, our lifestyle. The psalmist is asking, well, how can a young person establish a lifestyle that is consistent with God's truth? How can a young person get on and stay on the right path for life? Now, it's interesting that the psalmist refers to a young person, isn't it? Now, why does he do this? Well, isn't it true that when you're young, it's particularly difficult to follow God with a pure heart? There are some particular challenges that our young people face that you just don't really wrestle with as you get older. And isn't it also true that when you're young, the temptation is to delay getting serious with God? Uh, Often what young people are told and what they believe is, well, God can wait. I'll get serious with God when I'm older, after I've had a bit of fun, after I've done my own thing. So the psalmist is saying that this resource that God has given us to help us grow, if it can work for young people, it can work for anyone. And it's a good question. How can we grow? How can we follow God with a pure heart? How can we become the people that God has called us to be? The psalmist gives the answer in the second half of verse 9. By living according to your word. 
In other words, how do we grow? How do we grow in faith and in grace and in godliness? By living according to God's truth revealed to us in the Bible. The key resource that God has given to us to help us grow is the truth, is the gift of his word. Now, I'm not sure what your attitude towards the Bible might be. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning and you think the Bible's a bit outdated, it's, it's, it's irrelevant, it's full of errors. Maybe you are a Christian, but you would say, well, I, I get that the Bible's important, but I just don't read it. I just don't spend any time in it. Or maybe you'd say, I understand that the Bible's important, but but I find it a bit dry. I find it a bit hard to understand. I'm not sure how the Bible could have such life-changing power. I understand that we're all at different places when it comes to the Bible and our attitude towards it. That's why we need to be clear about what the psalmist is saying to us here. Notice that he doesn't say... How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By knowing your word. He doesn't say that. You see, just knowing the words of the Bible is not enough to change us. It's possible to know the Bible from cover to cover without really knowing and being changed by the God of the Bible. Think about it like a mirror. Now, to look into a mirror is not necessarily a life-changing or an appearance-changing experience. You can look into the mirror and the mirror will tell you that your hair's a mess and that you've got some stuff in your teeth. But if you then walk away from that mirror and you do nothing to fix your hair, you do nothing to take the thing out of your teeth, then that has proved useless. And you see, you can look into the Bible. You can read it. You can study it. You can know it. But unless you actually make changes based upon what you see, it's no good to you and it brings no glory to God. Just Knowing the words of the Bible is not enough. And this is why the psalmist says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Now, the word living there actually means to guard or to keep watch over. This is why the ESV translates this phrase as by guarding it, by guarding your way, by guarding your life according to your word. Now, what do you do when you guard something? You patrol it, you check on it, you make sure it's safe from dangers and threats. And this is what the Bible does for our lives. It guards our lives. Think about it this way. The Bible is like our personal security guard. Now, I used to be a high school chaplain, so I went on a number of camps, high school camps, and on some of these camps, a security guard was hired to, to keep watch at night so that, you know, staff and teachers could get a good night's sleep. They needed it. Um, but the security guard would keep watch on the camp at night, and he would keep watch because of external threats. He would make sure that no one was coming into the camp that shouldn't be in the camp. But the truth is, the security guard was also on watch for internal threats to make sure that no one was escaping from the camp or no one was in a dorm that they shouldn't be in. And this is kind of what the Bible does for our lives. It guards us from both internal and external threats. It guards us from ourselves, from our deceptive hearts, from our sinful natures. You know, the truth is no one really lies to you more than you. 
We lie to ourselves all the time. We deceive ourselves all the time. And the Bible helps us to see ourselves clearly, see ourselves truthfully. It guards us from ourselves. It also guards us from external threats, the influence of the world, the schemes of Satan. It helps us to see our world clearly so that we can live in line with God's truth. The Bible has been given to us to protect us, to guard us, to guide us. And when we understand this, when we understand that the Bible is not just something we need to read to kind of keep God happy, something to tick off our spiritual list, but it's been given to us by God so that we can see ourselves, see our world clearly, it changes our attitude towards the Bible. We begin to see how valuable the Bible is. We begin to see how precious the Bible is. And we begin to display some of the attitudes towards the Bible that we see in verses 10 to 16. In fact, in verses 10 to 16, we see three attitudes towards the Bible that we need to adopt if we are going to grow, if if we are going to guard our lives according to God's word. The first one is this. We need to devote ourselves to the word of God. Look at verse 10. The psalmist says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Now notice there the tight connection between seeking God and knowing his word. I seek you, God, with all my heart. Now what does that mean? Do not let me stray from your commands. The way we truly come to know God, the way we're truly changed by God, is in the truth and by the truth of God's word. It's coming to know God through his word. It's by consistent, prayerful, worshipful devotion to God's word. This is why A.W. Tozer, he said this, he said, show me the condition of your Bible and I will accurately predict the condition of your soul. This is why Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. If we want to know God, if we want to guard our lives, we must devote ourselves to his word. So let me just ask you, are you devoting yourself to God's word? Are you reading it? Are you seeking to understand it? Are you seeking to apply it? And you might say to me, well, Adam, have you read the Bible? It's pretty difficult to understand. And you're right. It is. I studied it for six years and I still find some parts of it perplexing. But I'm just not sure that that's an excuse for us. Especially in this day and age, we have so many resources that are freely available to us. Hundreds of good websites, study Bibles galore, commentaries, dictionaries. There's so many resources that are available to us that people in the past have not had access to. We don't all have to be Bible scholars. God forbid. But we can all do something to knowing and studying and devoting ourselves to God's word. They might say to me, well, Adam, that's nice for you. You know, you get to do that for your job, but I don't have time. I'm busy. And you know what? I get that. We're all busy. But again, I just don't think that this is an excuse for us. We devote ourselves. We make time for the things that we love and enjoy and that are valuable to us. It's true. We do. And when we come to see what a precious treasure the Bible is, We'll make time for it. 
Now, I'm not trying to guilt us all into reading the Bible. Guilt is a terrible motivator. I'm simply trying to open us up to the possibility that the Bible is far more precious, far more valuable than we even realise. And I believe that once we begin to dip our toes into it, we will begin to understand, we will begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. And we'll realise what a precious treasure the Bible is. So the first way we grow is we devote ourselves to God's word. The second that we see in this psalm is we drive it into our hearts. Look at verse 11. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, to hide God's word in our heart, it means to read it, to study it, but even more than that, it means to memorize it. In fact, Psalm 119 is broken down into 22 sections, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this second section is under the heading of the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet, Beit. But the word Beit also means house or home. And one scholar has said that this section is all about making our heart a home for the Word of God. Making our heart a home for the Word of God. Now let me just ask you, what is at home in your heart? What do you allow to settle down, to get comfortable, to to set up furniture in, in your home? What do you dwell on? What do you meditate on? What do you think about? What do you cherish? What do you value? What is at home in your heart? Is it the truth of God's word? One of the reasons that it's so important for us to do this is because as the psalmist says, it helps us to overcome sin, to fight against sin. That's what he says there. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now think about Jesus. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness in Matthew 4, what did he do? He quoted scripture. Four times he said to the devil, it is written. He knew the truth of God's word. And the point of memorising the Bible, it's not just to tick off a spiritual checklist. It's so that in the moment of temptation, in the moment of trial, we can remind our hearts of what is true and right. And we can navigate what we're going through. Think about it this way. To be a Christian, in some ways, means that we need to be like an airline pilot. Now, to be an airline pilot doesn't just happen. It takes years of study, doesn't it? You have to read countless books. You have to practice in flight simulators. You have to memorize safety procedures. Why? So that you can safely fly and navigate the plane. And so that in the, when there is a mechanical failure or something happens mid-flight, you know instinctively what to do. It wouldn't fill you with confidence, would it, if the plane started to nosedive? And the captain got on the loudspeaker and said, hang on folks, I'm just consulting the manual. Just working out what to do here. The pilot should already know what to do ahead of time so that when it happens, he's able to navigate what he's going through. And it's the same for you and for me. It's the same for the Christian life. We need to memorise God's word, hide it in our hearts so that when we go through those times of temptation and trial and storms and turbulence, We can remind our hearts of what is true and right and we can navigate what we're going through. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, said it this way. He said, oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord. 
not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it till we have taken it into our inmost parts. He goes on to talk about someone becoming so full of scripture that if you were to prick them and say, why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. And this is what the psalmist is talking about. Filling our lives, filling our hearts so fully with the word of God that when life cuts us, and it will, we bleed the truth of God's word. The third and final way that we can guard our lives and we can grow, third attitude we need to adopt towards the Bible is we need to delight in it. Notice the three words there used by the psalmist to describe how he relates to the word of God. He rejoices, he meditates, he delights. Now they're strong emotive words, aren't they? I mean, I wonder what you rejoice in. What brings you delight? What do you spend time meditating on, pondering, thinking about, reading about? Is it the truth of God's word? I once read about a group of American uh, POWs during the Vietnam War and they went on a hunger strike in their prison because they were trying to pressure the guards to give them a Bible. And when the guards finally gave in and supplied them a Bible, the men lined up just to touch it. See, Psalm 119 is in the Bible to help us see how precious the Bible is. To help us see what a valuable treasure we have in the words of God. Now I know that for some of us, our attitude towards the Bible, it's not one of delight and rejoice, but perhaps one of neglect and unimportance. And I think the reason for this, it's not because we don't love God or we don't want to obey him. I think it's because we don't fully realise or understand what the Bible really is and what it's really about. You see, many of us, I think, think about the Bible as mainly a book of heroes for us to try and emulate. It's about inspiration for our lives. Or others of us think about the Bible mainly as a book of rules for us to obey. It's a rule book for our lives. Others of us perhaps think about the Bible as a book of practical advice. It's just kind of a guidebook to help us live a, 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 you know, a comfortable, nice life. And the Bible does contain those things. The Bible does give us good and bad examples. It gives us laws and commands from God. It gives us guidance. But that's not mainly what the Bible is about. Because the Bible Bible is not mainly about us and what we must do. The Bible is mainly about God and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 5 to a group of Pharisees, you search the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. The Bible is the story of our great God and our great rebellion against him and our great salvation in Jesus. Because Jesus Christ came and he obeyed the law of God perfectly. He lived the life that you and I have failed to live. And on the cross he paid the penalty for our failure, our sin. And he died the death that we deserve to die. But he rose again three days later and he defeated all of our enemies and now he gives to us the gift that we do not deserve. Salvation and new life with God. And when we see the Bible in this way, 
when we allow the Bible to lead us to Jesus, only then will it begin to make sense to us. Only then will we begin to delight and rejoice in it. And only then will God begin to change us from the inside out. So let me close with these words from Welsh pastor Geoffrey Thomas. He says, Do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. Let the word break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by. And imperceptibly there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. Often you will feel very, very small because increasingly the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. So go on reading it until you can read no longer. And then you will not need the Bible anymore because when your eyes close for the last time in death and never again read the word of God in scripture, you will open them to the word of God in the flesh. That same Jesus of the Bible whom you have known for so long, standing before you to take you forever to his eternal home. Let me pray.